0: according to the word change me from glory to glory and i boldly say i will never ever be the same again in jesus name amen praise god amen amen this is a lesson number 3 on don't give up praise god how appropriate this morning don't give up on life don't give up on your walk with god don't give up on your marriage don't give up on your children, those that might, might be wayward. Just don't give up, praise God. We've been talking about the fact that our walk with God is compared to a mountain climb. And when it comes to climbing a mountain, there can be different attitudes that exist. And our attitude will determine the altitude that we climb to. If you have the altitude, attitude rather of a, of a quitter, you're going to quit when the going gets tough. If you have the attitude of a camper, you'll get so far you'll just settle in mediocrity and you'll be satisfied with where you're at and you won't go any further. But if you have the attitude of a climber and you're the person that wants to get all the way up to the top, you've got that kind of energy and that kind of thrust behind you and motivation that you want to climb to the top, nothing is going to stop you from achieving your goal. Paul the Apostle, we talked about, he had a goal in mind and his goal was to know christ intimately to know the life that he lived to know and understand his character and also to know the power of his resurrection think about that to know the power of his resurrection and then the fellowship of his suffering finally so we can conform to the image of his death burial resurrection ascension in other words what he was saying was he set his goal so high He could never achieve it while living on earth. He would just be climbing toward it until finally he got raptured out of here in glory and was completely changed. But he would be pursuing it every day of his life. And along the way, he said, I fought a good fight. I finished my course. I've kept the faith. And now there's in store for me the crown of righteousness, the victor's crown of righteousness. Praise God. Well, his game plan was, I've got to forget the things that are behind me. I've got to press toward that mark. And I know that where I'm at. I know where I'm at. I locate myself spiritually and I know I've got a long way to go. But I'm not going back. I'm going forward. I'm going to walk in the light that I have. and I'm going to be changed from glory to glory. That was his attitude. And so we should all have that same attitude. Every single one of us. I'm not satisfied with where I'm at. It's not about being religious. It's not about going to church. Although we should. But we should have this desire to change. To be more like Jesus. To conform to his image and and likeness. To become that for which he sacrificed his life. He sacrificed his life to save us. But not leave us the way we are. He saved us so that we can conform to his image and likeness. And be more like him. In conduct, in character, in speech, in attitude, etc., etc. Praise God. Now, as we continue our study, look in Colossians chapter 1, beginning at verse 25. Here's the Apostle Paul speaking Whereof I am made a minister according to the dispensation of God, which is given to me for you, to fulfill the word of God, even the mystery which hath been hid from ages and from generations. But now is made manifest to his saints to whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles which is Christ in you the hope of glory. Whom we preach now notice warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. Whereunto I also labor striving according to his working which worketh in me mightily. So what Paul was saying, this was my goal, but I want to pass that same thing on to you. And in the labor of my teaching and preaching and warning, I want to be able to present you how perfect. Perfection is in three stages. Three stages of perfection. Number one, there's positional perfection. Positional perfection means when you got born again, you got the life and nature of God on the inside of you. You can't improve on that. Thank God. You've got the righteousness of God inside you. So your spiritual condition is perfect. Thank God we've been made perfect in Christ. But secondly, it's also progressive. What do you mean by that? Well, just compare it to natural growth. How many of you have seen my son Andrew lately? I want you to see a picture of him not too long ago. Do we have that? Well, he looks a whole lot different than that, doesn't he? He's now going on 15. He'll be 15 in June. He's a lot taller than that. That didn't happen like that. He progressively grew from that to where he's at right now. So we understand physical growth and development, don't we? We understand physical maturity, don't we? But what about spiritual? See, spiritually speaking, in Psalm 138, we are told... That God will perfect that which concerns us. The Lord will perfect that which concerneth me. Thy mercy, O Lord, endureth forever. Forsake not the works of thine own hands. You know, we are His workmanship. We are the work of His hands. And He wants us to do what? To grow spiritually, just like we've grown physically. And so we can progressively grow and develop and be perfected. So perfection is not just positional. It's also progressive and this flesh body that we live in god wants us to do what demonstrate and display his character his attitude his speech so we should all be growing toward that and that's being perfected in christ but thirdly i know you're wanting this one the whole body cries out and groans for this one it's also complete or you could say permanent perfection permanent perfection is completed perfection when this body will one day be what glorified Reunited with the spirit and soul of the one who's gone. And the body glorified. And will be in a state or place of perfection. And there will not be anyone or anything to in any way tempt us. To do anything that would dishonor or displease our God. Beautiful place to be in the state or place of what? Perfection. Well how many of you know that our lives. Are based upon the decisions that we make. The course of our lives will be affected by the choices and decisions that we make. Paul the Apostle made a decision to be like Christ. To such a degree he said, follow me as I follow Christ. He very explicitly revealed to us his goals, his purpose. Then you got a man named Daniel. Remember Daniel when he was in captivity? Because of his wisdom and knowledge, understanding and the gifts that God placed within him. So he was taken into Babylonian captivity. But what was his purpose? What was his decision? I will not be defiled or defile myself with anything that pertains to this Babylonian lifestyle. Did he not say that? I will not. In other words, you could put me in it, but it won't contaminate me. I made my decision. I'm serving the living God. And God honored that, didn't He? Absolutely. And guess what? When he was pressured to do wrong, he did, not con- he did not at all concede. He stood firm. And you can see Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they were told to bend, bow, or burn. And they said, we're not going to bend, we're not going to bow, and we're not going to burn. You could try to do anything you want to put fear in us. You want to throw us into a burning, fiery furnace? Have at it. But the God we serve, he's able and he will deliver us out of your hands, O king. And they came out without the smell of smoke on them. Because Jesus was in that burning, fiery furnace. And didn't he say when you pass through the fire, I will be with you? The smell of smoke won't even come on you. Imagine that. So the decisions that we make will set the course of our lives. And just like these individuals, it's about our opportunity as we live our lives upon the earth to make right choices and decisions, to see to it that we go all the way to the top with God and continue on the upward climb. I listed for you 10 quality decisions that will help promote our spiritual growth and development. Not that these are all of them, but there's some of them. We're going to review them. Number one. The first thing, this is my, I call this my suggested never to-do list. Has your wife ever put together a to-do list for you? A honey-do list? Anybody know what a honey-do list is? Okay, so there are certain things that we should do. But here's a list of certain things that we should purpose in our hearts never to do. Number one, I will never perish. John 3:16, you should know it by heart. God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not, what? Perish, but have, what? Everlasting life. God has done everything in His power to prevent us from perishing. He has even told us He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. What's the point of that? This. If anyone perishes, it is not God's fault. If anyone is lost, it is not God's fault fault he did everything he possibly can to see to it that you and I do not perish and we must make that choice and decision I'm not perishing I'm going all the way with God and there's a lot of meaning to that that means you're not going to stop believing what you believe in you're not going to stop pursuing what you know to be the right thing in the mind of God as he's revealed it to us in scripture you're going with God well I've just thought I believe in that well once you're saved you're always saved there's nothing to even be concerned about You know what? You want to get on the right path? You want to get on the right road? Here's the way to make sure you don't perish. I accept Christ and what He did for me. And I'm going to lovingly serve Him all the days of my life. And guess what? You don't have to be concerned about any kind of a doctrine. If you believe you're saved and you're walking with God and you walk with Him as you should according to the Word of God all the days of your life, there's no concern about anything. You will not perish. Have you made that decision? You're not perishing? Is there much of a choice? Let's have a show of hands. How many of you want heaven forever? How many of you don't? You'd rather suffer in the lake of fire. Well the worm dies not, the fire's never quenched, and spend your eternity in agony. I see no takers this morning. Number two: I am never going to be ashamed. In Mark 8, I am not going to be ashamed. I will never be ashamed. And when he had called the people unto him with his disciples also, he said unto them, Whosoever will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it. But whosoever shall, save, lo- shall lose his life shall, for my sake and the gospels, the same shall save it. For what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Whosoever therefore shall be ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation of him also shall the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. Paul the Apostle said it this way in Romans chapter 1. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Look at, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. It's the power of God and the salvation to everyone that believeth. To the Jew first and also to the the Greek. In other words, I am not ashamed to let people know where I go, where I work. No matter what the venue, no matter where I'm at in life. I embrace Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of my life. And I'm living for Him. I'm serving Him. I'm walking with Him. Praise God. And I will never be ashamed of what the gospel teaches. The Word of God, the power of God, the Spirit of God, the gifts of God, whatever they may be, I believe in them all, and I'm not ashamed, praise God, to tell people. Amen. Number three. The third thing is, I will never blame God. I will never blame God. That means I will not hold Him responsible for anything I've done wrong. Or anything I maybe don't achieve in life. Anything that I've done. Let's say if I've done something to hurt someone. Or if I'm experiencing certain situations or circumstances in my life. I'm not going to blame God. And say He's the one that's responsible for it. Look in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 12. What it says. Here's the beginning. The very origin of the blame game. In Genesis 3.12. And the man said. The woman whom you gave the bee with me she gave me of the tree and I did eat honey it's your fault but no it goes back further than that God it's the one you gave me you handcrafted her from my side she left me alone I wouldn't do anything wrong I was okay a little lonely you caused me to go to sleep you cut me open you pulled her out, handcrafted her You gave her to me and said she's my bride Now look what that woman made me do God it's your fault I'm experiencing all this trouble Because you did that Well I want you to see something here in the book of James chapter 1 You see James in writing to the scattered people there that were there He says don't be an heir They were blaming God for their hard lives, for the afflictions, the persecutions, the challenges, and etc. He said, don't be in error, my beloved brethren. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variables, neither shadow of turning. God is not the problem. You go back to the beginning and you find out that man opened up the door to the kingdom of darkness. God did not open up that door. God says, don't eat of it lest you die. Man, you did it. It's your fault. Take responsibility for what you've done. As a matter of fact, that is a, uh, let's say, an image of God that is so wrong that people have. I'm going through all this and they want to blame God because, no, look look what I'm going through. You've got the power to change. Wait a minute. Don't blame God. You want to see the character of God? Look at the Israelites when they came out of Egypt. When they came out of Egypt. Those ten plagues that were there. Affected the Egyptian people. But not the Israelites. Every one of those plagues. Affected the Egyptian people. But there was a hedge of protection around the Israelites. And God protected them from it all. Including the death of the firstborn. Is that not true? Absolutely. Then also look in the book of Exodus. And this is amazing when you see this in chapter 10. And the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out thine hand toward heaven, that there may be darkness over the land of Egypt, even darkness which uh, may be felt. And Moses stretched forth his hand toward heaven, and there was a thick darkness in all the land of Egypt three days. They saw not one another, neither rose any from his place for three days, but all the children of Israel... Had light in their dwelling. Figure that one out. It is so dark among all the other people. That they can't even see one another. For three days. Couldn't move for three days. But the children of Israel. Every one of them had a light in their tent. Amazing. But guess what? Do you remember when the snakes bit the Israelites because of their rebellion and disobedience and they began to die from the snake bites? Did you know those snakes were there for a long, long period of time while they were walking through the wilderness? And did you know that not one Israelite got bitten by a snake when they were walking with God? But did you notice that when they rebelled against God and they sinned against God, When the hedge of protection was breached, what happened? All those snakes that were wanting to get on them but couldn't get on them before because of the hedge of protection now had at it. Don't blame God. God is not the problem, he's the problem solver. We are to walk with God in obedience to his word, his will and his ways and if we will who keep the hedge of protection around us as well. We don't want to open up the door to the enemy, do we? It's the thief that comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but not our God. Number four, make a decision. I'm going all the way with God. I will never stop serving. Never will I stop serving the Lord. The Bible teaches us that Jesus, the Son of Man Himself, came to serve and not to be served. Look at Mark's Gospel, chapter 10 and verse 45. For even the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. Jesus came to serve others, not himself. We're not to stop serving. And when we talk about serving the Lord, it means we do everything we know to advance his kingdom, to help promote his work, his will, his ways. I'm walking with God. I'm serving God. If you recall Joshua, what he said, Choose ye this day whom ye will serve. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Not the devil, not the world, not the flesh. We will serve the Lord. You see, when Jesus said, If you're going to come after me, you've got to serve me. So we're going to serve him. And guess what? We don't just serve him once a week on Sunday morning. We serve him every day of our lives. We open up our Bibles. We read it. We pray over our food so he can bless us and protect us from anything that might be harmful or damaging to us, our bread, our water. He protects us from sickness and disease. And the list goes on and on. He said, let my people go that they may serve me. Not the enemy, not the devil, not the flesh, not the world, but serve me. And so we're making a decision. I will never stop serving the Lord. And then number five, I will never give in. I will never give in. Every day of our lives, you and I are tempted. Temptation is all around us. But we're not to give in. We're not to give in to bring reproach to the gospel of Christ by having our testimony tarnished by things that we do or the way that we live. And this is why God wants us to grow and develop. As we grow and develop, yes, he understands we'll make mistakes along the way, but as we grow and develop, we should be becoming more mature. Weaned from our emotions and not letting our emotions control our lives. For example, we tarnish our testimony if we get to a rage of anger and hit someone like Antonio Brown got hit last night. Or push a coach like they were doing last night. You talk about immaturity. Think about immaturity. Both of those teams need to be on the bench and never never play for a while they deserve that you realize life is more than football how many of you know it's more than football there was no character displayed at all would you agree with me it was pathetic what you saw you say but it's the heat of the moment during a game so did you see A.J. McCarron in the the post-game interview and how he wouldn't put anybody under How he blamed no one you know why you want to know why A.J. McCarron's a Christian. Because A.J. McCarron, if you recall, when he played for Alabama and took him to the national championship game and this young girl said that she, he was his idol, her idol. And he went and saw her. I believe she was challenged. And when he saw her, she gave him one of those rubber wristbands. They were raising funds. And he made a promise to her and said, when I'm playing in the national championship game, I'm going to wear that on my wrist. When they had him out there on the field and they show him either, either a coin toss or whatever, he held up that band for her by television to see her holding that up in the air, for her to see it, to honor her. You see, it's, it's bigger than a game. Well, why would he be thinking about this little girl, this young girl, who's in need of help during a national championship football game because he's a Christian and he knew that life is more important than a football game. Character is more important than a football game. See? We can't give in. Look at First Corinthians ten, verse thirteen. We shouldn't give in. I know we'll make mistakes along the way and nobody's perfect yet, but we should be striving for what? Perfection. There is no temptation taking you but such as common to man, but God is faithful, who would the who will not allow you or suffer you to be tempted above that you are able but will with the temptation also make a way of escape that you may be able to bear it so what he's saying is this I'm not the one tempting you the devil the world and the flesh are out there and they'll tempt you but I'll make a way of escape for you we should be so mindful of that and say okay I'm tempted to be this I'm tempted to do that Lord help me show me the way out Show me what I need to do to rise up above this and overcome that. It's a daily walk with God. I'm not given into the temptation of my flesh to live a life that will tarnish my testimony and ruin my witness. I'm going to live in such a way so as not to bring reproach to the gospel of Jesus Christ. So I'm going to get in my Bible. I'm going to read through the word of God. I'm going to find out how God wants me to live. the epistles were written to us, to believers, to the church. So that we could learn our position. you Go to the book of Ephesians. It starts off with your position in Christ. And then it transitions over to what? Your conduct and character. And how you should live your life and conduct your life as a Christian. Let me meddle just for one little more moment. A lot of the people that believe in what well, once saved always saved. You know what? If you're coming from the perspective that once you come to Christ. And no one can take you out of his hand because you're serving him. Wholeheartedly I agree with you. But if you want to embrace that theology because you want to say, once saved, always saved, so it doesn't matter how I do, what I live, where I go. You've got a problem. It's called a heart problem. And I've been told that by so many that believe that. I've learned all about grace. All this excessive grace teaching right now. You know, grace just means my sins are forgiven, past, present, and future. No, they're provided for, past, present, and future. And we've been told in Romans chapter 6, God forbid that you should stay in sin, that grace may abound. He said, "Grace gives you the power to rise up above sin." And Paul said, "He labored in the grace of God. Labored in the grace of God. Yeah, he fought the good fight. What's what fight? The, the biggest fight we have to fight is with our own flesh, so that we walk right with God, as He wants us to." So, in the book of uh, Corinth or First Corinthians, there's a way of, of of escape. Now, next next is, "I will never stop loving." I will never stop loving. Oh, this is so important. In John 13, this is Jesus speaking. In verse 34, he revealed to us the uh, new commandment, the new commandment of the new covenant, which is love. And here's what he says. By this shall all men, though that you're my disciples, if you have love one to another. He said to love people as I have loved you so that the world can see that you're a Christian. God wants us to be so in love with each other that the world sees it and they're confounded. They're confused. How can these people really care so much about each other? Because we've got the same blood, same family line. You've got Christ in you, the hope of glory. You've got the love of God shed abroad in your heart by the Holy Ghost that's on the inside of you. And what we're supposed to do with it is to love each other and really care for each other. Look in the book of Colossians chapter 2, beginning at verse 1. Here's what the Apostle Paul said. For I would that you know what great conflict I have for you and for them at Laodicea. And for as many as have not seen my face in the flesh, that their hearts might be comforted being knit together in love and to all the riches of the full assurance of understanding to the acknowledgement of the mystery of God and of the Father and of Christ in whom are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge notice he says he wants their hearts to be knit together in love if you recall the love story between um, David and Jonathan and they had a covenant that they made with each other they gave themselves to each other in love because they cared for each other and they stood together in the face of battle And they didn't even put their families above their relationship. Love flowed. They were knit together in love. And God wants us to have that same kind of care and concern. You want to talk about climbing the mountaintop. And you get to a place where you stop loving. And now you start judging and criticizing people that are around you. If you find yourself in that tent that you pitched on that mountain. You know what you say? Forgive me father doesn't matter what they did to me. I'm supposed to love them as you love me. I'm going to start over. I'm going to continue my climb. I'm not going to hold anything against them. Mm -mm, I'm releasing them of all that debt. Praise God. Uh, Notice in Colossians 3 and verse 14. Here's the reason why it's so important that we continue to walk in love. Above all these things put on charity, which is divine love, agape love, which is the bond of what? Perfection. That's the bond of perfection. If we're heading towards perfection, we should be becoming more perfect in love, more mature in love. And you know what else? Jesus said, "If you want to be perfect like your Father in heaven is perfect?" He said, "Love your enemies. Do good to those that hate you." How many of you know the law didn't teach that you're supposed to hate people? He never taught that. That was the, the leaders, the Jewish leaders. they distorted that whole concept, that whole understanding. He never said they hate people. God's matter of fact he said love one, your neighbor as you love yourself. He didn't say they hate people. To be perfect. Love your enemy. Do good to those that hate you. Pray for those that spitefully use and abuse you. And speak well of those that speak evil of you. That you may be perfect like your father in heaven is perfect. And so you see if we want to promote our own spiritual growth and development. We've got to love even our enemies. And continue walking in love. I will never stop walking in love. Should be our anthem. Because I'm going all the way to the top. Number six. Seven rather. I will never, never stop giving. This is our never to-do list. I will never stop giving. Look in Luke six. Jesus taught this. Most of the time people read these verses of scripture. And they only focus in on one thing. Giving financially. And we should give the support the work of God. But I want you to see there's a whole lot more to it than just that. You realize that God gave to us so we can freely give to other people? And everything we have was a gift given to us from God. Your talents, your abilities, your brain power, your intellect, your wisdom, whatever it is. All that you have, your possessions, your finances, etc., etc. All that you have belongs to Him. Don't you long for the day when you can bow on your knees before the Lord Jesus Christ and take off your crown and put it right before Him and say it's all because of you I've got this Jesus and nothing to do with me it's all because of you and what you've done. We should all have that desire within us. Let's read it. Give to every man that asketh of thee and of him that taketh away thy goods ask them not again. And as you would that men should do to you do ye also to them likewise. For if you love them which love you what thank have ye? For sinners also love those that love them. And if you do do good to them which do good to you, what thank have ye? For sinners also do even the same. And if ye lend to them of whom ye hope to receive, what thank have ye? For sinners also lend to sinners to receive as much again. But love your enemies and do good, and lend, hoping for nothing again. And your reward shall be great, and ye shall be the children of the, of the highest. For he is kind unto the unthankful and to the evil. Be therefore merciful, as your Father also is merciful. Judge not, and ye shall not be judged. Condemn not, and ye shall not be condemned. Oh, glory to God, there's so much in that. Forgive and ye shall be forgiven. Give, and it shall be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, shall men give into your bosom. For with the same measure that you meet with all, it shall be measured for you, to you again. So it has a whole lot more to do than just finances. And notice, he didn't say just to give to a brother in need. He said, lend to an enemy. Give to an enemy without even wanting to have anything back in return. Didn't he say that? What a standard he established and set for all of us. For all of us to, to be mindful of this important truth. Be a giver all the days of your life. You say, but I don't have anything to give. Then to give what you don't have. That whatever, you don't have whatever you do have, I guarantee you've got something to give. A word from your mouth to bless someone. Encourage someone. i never forget the fellow that was sitting in a meeting like this one time. And he, it was time to give and he had nothing to give. I mean broke as broke can be. Nothing to give. There was a pencil that was in in the back of the pew. He picked it up and said, Lord, I'll replace this someday. He said, but I have nothing to give. I'm going to give you this pencil. He started with giving that. And you know what? When you give God anything, you sow a seed in the kingdom of God, I guarantee he's going to bless you. And that's how he started and got to a place where he was just abundantly blessed by God. You see, giving is an attitude of the heart. I want to give you mercy. Because to the merciful, he'll show himself merciful. If I give you judgment, I'll be judged by the way I judged you. (laughs) No wonder he said, judge not and you will not be judged. Condemn not and you will not be condemned. But if I judge you and condemn you, etc., etc., then guess what? I'll hear my own words. He said, by your words you'll be justified. By your words you'll be condemned. I'll hear my own words play back in my own ears. As I judged you, I'll be judged. So guess what? Don't judge Show mercy and he'll show you mercy. So whatever you give, it'll be given back to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over. It's like putting popcorn in that little box. They fill it up and then they pat it down. Because you pat it down, then it's all all the way down to there. And more goes in and you pat it down again. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. Shall men pour forth into your bosom. Amen. Number eight. Never, never will I stop forgiving. In Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 32 never, never, never. Be kind one to another, tender hearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. You want to climb to that mountaintop? Here is a good step to take. Oh my goodness. Forgive one another as Christ has forgiven us, as God for Christ's sake has forgiven you. We should never have an ounce of unforgiveness in us. No matter how terrible the thing we might think was that was done to us, we should never, never, never have a heart of unforgiveness. Unforgiveness and the root of bitterness will defile any person and bring destruction into their lives. If you recall how Jesus taught on unforgiveness and said, if you don't forgive as you've been forgiven, you've been forgiven this huge debt, but you won't forgive someone this minor debt. You'll be cast into prison until you pay the uttermost farthing before you can come out. And guess what? You can't come out because you can't pay it. So you see, it's important. If we want to grow and develop in things of God, we've got to forgive. Forgiveness reflects Christ's character. It demonstrates obedience. It displays His mercy. It reconciles relationships. God wants people to genuinely care about one another and help one another and bless one another. Be merciful to one another and not condemn or criticize or be judgmental. And then number nine. Never look back. Make a decision. I will never look back. And let's go to. uh, First of all. Look look at Genesis chapter 19. Because this is a reference to. Mrs. Lot. No one knows her name. Try to find it. Look it up if you can. Anyone know her name? So we'll call her Mrs. Lot. It's like the woman with the issue of blood. Mrs. Woman with the issue of blood okay but his wife looked back from behind him and she became a pillar of soul you recall the story seven times she was warned to get out get out get out and when the fire begins to fall don't look back as they began to leave everyone was going forward everyone was focused they had their eyes on the prize And they were not looking back. But she. You see because her heart was there. Her life was there. She loved the world. More than she loved pursuing. Perfection with God. She needed to go back. And experience all those things. That had a pull on her life. Think about it saints. The world has a pull on us. The flesh has a pull on us. The devil will try to deceive us and make us think that's what's really important. You know, anything can become an idol, including sports can become an idol. Ladies, that'll cost you a quarter at the door. All right? But before you get your purse out, so is shopping. Someone said, if the devil can't drive you into sickness, that drive you into disease, drive you into drinking. If he can't drive you into drugs or alcohol, he'll drive you to the mall. <laughs> look at Luke's gospel chapter 9. Don't look back. And I want you to see these are the words of Jesus. Look in your Bible. If you have a red letter edition, they're in red came to pass that as they went in the way a certain man said to him you're going to see three individuals here said to him said the Lord I will follow thee whithersoever thou goest (laughs) Jesus said okay really alright and Jesus said to him foxes have holes birds of the air have nests the son of man hath not where to lay his head hmm what's he saying if you're going to follow me it's going to cost you something You understand it when you look at it from this perspective. When I was, for, for my path to follow the Lord, it meant I had to leave my home. I had to leave my profession. I had to be willing to say, like Abraham, I'm going to Tulsa to go to school there, but man, I have no idea. And if you're a person that likes to have everything like it's supposed to be, it's hard to say, I'm going to give up my profession, my security, my finances coming in to provide for the family my benefits and all that and jesus said well if you're going to follow me animals have places to live but i don't and i might call you to go somewhere where you have to give it all up and he said to another follow me but he said lord suffer me first to go and bury my father now that was noble on his part now his father wasn't dead at the time he just wanted to say that i want to have the time first of all to see my father Go to the grave and then I'll come and follow you. Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their dead. So in other words, it wasn't that it wasn't a priority. But there is a greater priority. You can't love anyone more than you love Jesus. Then he says, but go thou and preach the kingdom of God. And another, this is the third person. He said also, Lord, I will follow thee. But let me go first and bid them farewell which are at home at my house. And Jesus said to him, no man having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. And what's he using this to illustrate this? Someone that's a farmer who's plowing. Back then in those days, they would have something that they would focus on to get straight rows. You had to focus on, let's say a tree was over there or they put up a stake or whatever it was and they begin to plow. You're looking straight ahead. You're focused on what you're looking at to make sure that you're doing it the right way. You keep looking back, you're going to get off course. So whether it's, you know, people say this, if I really give my heart to Jesus, he'll send me to Africa. And all of a sudden they get nervous. Or I won't be able to do this anymore. And they get nervous. Does it matter? This life is temporal. Think about it. That is eternal. So it doesn't matter where we go and what we do. When I left, I had no idea I I would ever be back to this area. I had no idea I'd be back even near my family. I feel blessed. I am blessed. I'm only 45 minutes away from my parents. And I can go there every week and take care of them like I need to. My dad just turned 85. My mother's going to be 85 pretty soon. And they need help. And I thank God for that. But when I left there so many years ago, almost 40 years ago, I had no idea if I would ever see them again. And I left with that understanding. Does that mean God's going to call everyone to do that? No, but He has called you to say from a spiritual, emotional perspective... I can't put these things above Jesus. And that's what Jesus was conveying. Don't look back. And don't turn back. Remember in the book of Hebrews they were told. We're not those that look back and go back to perdition. We believe in the saving of the soul. We're going forward. And then finally number 10. Number 10. I will never forsake the fellowshipping. With other Christians. I will never forsake. fellowshipping With other believers. Now. In the book of Hebrews chapter 10. Let's read it first. And I'm going to give you some reasons why we should. Let us consider one another. To provoke unto love. And to good works. Provoke means just to poke someone. When you see them. Not wanting to walk in love. Poke them. Walk in love remember. I'm so angry at so and so. I'm never going to forgive them. Poke them. Poke them. Walk in love. Forgive as He forgave you. Mm-hmm. When you see someone just spewing out doubt and unbelief. Poke him And just say. Unbelief kept the Israelites out of the promises of God. Walk in what you believe. Believe God. Hallelujah. Provoke one another to love and the good works. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching bear with me for just another moment small small smidgen of a moment when you can be fellowshipping like this with other saints that's a good thing it's a wonderful thing and we'll show you some reasons why thank God for the advent of all that we have with the computer in this modern age that we live in this electronic age So, if you're tempted to just live stream, do you know you can't poke your computer? You realize that? The computer's not looking back at you and just saying, I'm just so frustrated today. And what? So, you can poke it? If you can be here, that's the best scenario. I understand if you can't. Then that's the second best scenario. You say, well, why does he need me there? What do I get? There's your wrong attitude right there. You should say, why does he need me there? What can I give? Not what can I get? Who can I bless? Who can I sharpen? Let me sharpen someone. I don't know about you, but if I wasn't here today, I would have not have been blessed by all that worship this morning. Wasn't it wonderful? did it impact your heart? Amen, didn't it? And then you see people that are around you and you encourage them. See, that's what love is all about. That's what genuine love is all about. I'm concerned about what you're going through. Carry, help others carry the heavy burden. Help them, lift them. Here are your reasons. There are at least five reasons why we should be in church in fellowship with other saints. Jesus did. Do I need any four more? Do I need four more or not? Jesus, it was his custom to go into into the synagogue, wasn't it? Wasn't it his custom to fellowship with others and etc.? Sure it was. Okay. And then secondly, uh, it sets a good example. We need to set right examples. We want our children to grow and be nurtured in the things of God. We want them to develop the right kind of habit. Why? You're in the world, how often? How long, how many hours of the day are you in the world? But when you come into a sanctuary where you sit with other born-again, spirit-filled, faith-walking, tongue-talking, armor-bearing, devil-resisting, love-practicing, living epistles of the living Christ, known and read of all men, you're a people of like, precious faith. It does something to you on the inside. It stirs you up. Pray, I'm going to climb my mountain. Man, when you got your tent there, it's all full of beans and weenies and all that stuff. Put that stuff aside. There's pasta at the top of the hill. <laughs> There's some meatballs up there, praise God. And a big old pizza like you never saw before. Get your eyes on the prize. Can you say amen? And then number three. <laughs> it promotes fellowship. It promotes fellowship. What someone said, I don't, I don't know about this definition, but some of you guys might like this. It said that fellowship is two men in a, in a ship catching fish. They call that fellowship. (laughs) Two fellows in a ship catching fish. That's fellowship. It's people coming together and really fellowshipping with one another. Giving your heart to each other. Loving each other. Caring for each other. Praying with each other. Sharpening each other. Lifting each other up. Encouraging one another to serve God together faithfully. It promotes our spiritual growth and development. The Bible teaches us that God gave the fivefold ministry, some apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, that we all come to this place of spiritual maturity and grow up into Christ in all things. That's what he said. Speaking the truth and love, grow up in him in all things. And so you see, we need the fivefold ministry. We need to come together like this. We need to glean light from each other and be blessed under the anointing of God's Spirit. And then finally, I will save the, this one for last, because it's a command. It's an Old Testament command, remember, the Sabbath day to keep it holy. It's a New Testament command, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves one with another. Praise God. Amen. Let's all stand together before the Lord. Hi, Pastor Bill here. I want to thank you for joining us today. On behalf of my wife Krista and Krista Selby Church, I want you to know that we're here to serve you and your family. Whether you have young children or kids in elementary school,